0: It's time for Compassion Over Killing's Vegan Family Podcast, with your hosts, Eric C. Lindstrom and Cheryl Leahy.
1: Welcome to this week's Vegan Family Podcast. Today we're dedicating a whole episode to the dairy industry on the occasion of Mother's Day.
0: That's right. Mothers are the best. Human and cow and all animals. Plus, this week we have a special guest. More on that in a bit.
1: Our first guest. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about this episode because COK just released a groundbreaking investigation of a large dairy farm in Pennsylvania, and it just sort of got us thinking.
0: Yeah, that's right. That investigation actually has gotten some really amazing coverage. Um, our listeners can find out more at COK.net forward slash Ditch Dairy. Uh, there's a lot there. There's a petition there. There's a video uh, that the Undercover Investigator um discovered at this dairy farm in Pennsylvania. So we'll have more on that in this episode. We'll have our special guest and much, much more when we come back. And we're back. Yay. So uh, Veg Week, Cheryl, uh, just ended as we sit here. It ended last week or on Sunday, I guess, on the 28th of April. It was a record-breaking year for Compassion Over Killing's annual Veg Week campaign. We had... uh, toward 10,000 or so pledges, I think 9,600 or something. Individuals who pledged to try vegan for a week, we send out emails, give them support. It was just an incredible campaign this year. So how did it look from where you sat? And uh, do you know anyone personally who took the veg pledge?
1: It looked great. I I know I could just tell um, by proxy that you were exhausted <laughs> there's so many oh, things yeah. going on there's no doubt do you feel recovered now yeah
0: a little bit yeah there was a, some some re-entry you know they call re-entry um some decompression there was a lot of things that mm-hmm. you forget you need to do after a major campaign and you come into work on monday and you're like oh veg week is over And you are like oh wait that's right now we have to do all of those other things so we've been giving out all of the prizes for the recruiters the the uh pledgers All of the people who, again, um, took the Veg Pledge to take animals and animal byproducts off their plates for those seven days. And then, of course, we follow up with surveys and we're going to follow up with a a new three-part exclusive cooking series hosted by Jessica Carter, the food and lifestyle coach from Compassion Over Killing. So it's just a wonderful, wonderful week that uh, we're very proud of. And so it's been great. And, of course, a big part of that is um, it, it happened right after this dairy investigation broke.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that was sort of serendipitous timing. Yeah. You know, it's like look at what's happening in the industry, here's what you can do exactly. about it. And yep. you know, one of my my personal favorite things about Veg Week was that somebody won a Vitamix was one of the prizes. <laughs>
0: That's right. Yes. We had some pretty cool prizes this year. So, yeah. Um, and with that, you know, the dairy investigation we had uh, talked about in the past, um, the dairy industry, Mother's Day, um, uh, and how people, you know, just obviously uh, need to consider, um, you know, mothers and, and parents and small calves being born for, uh, for milk that, that we no longer need to consume.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to have this conversation. And that's why, you know, really dedicating this episode to the dairy industry, I think, um, can bring all these threads together a little bit. Yeah. I think most people don't even really think much know, about the dairy industry. Yeah, so so uh, we have a, a special guest with us. We have Emily von Klemperer, who's general counsel at Farm Sanctuary and i you know i think it would be great just to have a conversation between the three of us so welcome emily thank you thanks so much for having me and uh, for doing this great podcast i'm excited to be here great
0: well it's so nice that you're here thank you very much for taking the time out
1: so what what do we know so what do we know as activists or advocates when we sort of put that hat on and for emily and i as as lawyers and then as parents mm-hmm. you know how do we think about the dairy industry. I think there, there's maybe three different perspectives, and then Emily, you have the additional perspective of knowing what it's like, sort of, to personally know mom and baby cows, <laughs> what they're really like yeah. if they get to, you know, live the life that they would that they would like to live. So, um, you know, I think those are all sort of different ways of looking at this issue, and maybe um, not particularly reflective of what you know the average person trying to get their kids to school every morning and just, you know, get the right nutrition in them and, um, you know, get everybody's teeth brushed and into bed at night, you know, what they're thinking about the dairy industry. So, you know, how do we, how do we think about this? How do we start this conversation?
0: Yeah, it's, um it's really interesting having Emily on the, on the program, because as you said, um, Cheryl, the being able to first, see firsthand how a mother and perhaps her offspring um, in the, in, as cows and calves interact with each other. Emily, what do you see and how do you sort of draw the correlation for whether it's farm sanctuary visitors or people who are supporting the farm sanctuary? How do you draw that correlation to people and individuals to see how dairy cows or you know cows in general um, can live out their full lives?
2: Um yeah so I was I was just recently at our sanctuary and um in Watkins Glen, New York and I got to spend some time with a mother and calf. The mother is Liz and the calf is Cashew. Mm-hmm. Um and they actually came to the sanctuary about 3 years ago when um someone had a, a kind of an unusual dairy. She was she was actually trying to do a humane dairy um and and part of that for her was to um, not kill the male calves and and as you know we all know um, in, in order for cows to um, to produce milk i mean they're they're constantly impregnated oh, yeah. and then they give they give birth and instead of giving that milk to their their babies um, their calf is is pretty much immediately taken away from them um, so that the the milk can be used for human consumption. Right. Um, and because of the economics of it, they, you know, they can't really, um, the male calves can't be put back into, into production for dairy. And so they're typically, um, taken and put into the, the veal industry, um, you know, raised for, for veal for slaughter and and consumption by humans. Um, so this, this, uh, you know, woman who wanted to have a humane dairy was not, um, not selling the, the boys. She was keeping them. And that, of course, gets really expensive if you're, Mm -hmm. you know, um, raising, you know, raising animals and and not, um, you know, if you're a dairy and you're producing dairy, but you're not getting any dairy from the boys, obviously. Um, So anyway, eventually they had to they had to go out of business. Uh, It wasn't an economical model. And so we were fortunate to get Liz, the mom, and Cashew, um, her calf. And um, it was just I mean, it just was really incredible to see them. Uh, You know, they've been with us for for three years, and Cashew, unlike you know most calves born into the dairy industry that don't necessarily get to nurse from their moms at all, um, Cashew is actually still nursing oh from his mom three years later, and it's kind of you know similar to you know experiences that that we might have with toddlers mm-hmm. where you know they're no longer nursing necessarily for nutrition, but oh, for, Cashew, yeah. you, you know Cashew when when he gets his hooves trimmed, he gets nervous and he Aww. goes and he nurses from his mom who's right there. Um, you know, he, he's basically inseparable from, wow.
1: and he's probably like bigger than her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's
0: wow. That's it. a wonderful story, Emily. Um, yeah. And I can't imagine how, uh, heartwarming it must be to see them, um, and their bond that, you know, continues to this day and will continue for their life. You know, that this is, this is her offspring. This, she gave birth to Cashew and in, you know, real life, whatever that means, um, that's the way it's meant to be, that these, these animals are carrying their young for pretty much the same amount of time that, that humans carry their young and um, giving birth and expecting to be able to spend time with their their offspring, with their babies. It's it's great that you get to see that and, and have that uh, right here. I, I actually live in Ithaca. So as you know, I'm very close to Watkins Glen. And um, oftentimes we head out there and uh, it's a wonderful place.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, you know, listening to you talk about, well, you know, the dairy industry, they have to kind of keep impregnating these cows and then taking them away. It's so sort of profound to think about that, you know, that even a person who would in, try to be intentional about this and, and kind of try to mitigate some of the harms on the margins of the dairy industry, right? Like not killing the baby boys um, can't, you know, they, they kind of get thrown off of the economics of it because it just doesn't work unless the the infant mother bond is shattered repeatedly you know they yeah. repeatedly impregnate these cows and then you know so so my job here involves a lot of watching that undercover footage and and in this particular investigation this pennsylvania one um you know i spent a lot of time watching the more sort of violent and kind of gory parts of the investigation, which we have no shortage of that in this particular investigation. In fact, this investigation, I feel, um, you know, was something kind of above and beyond what we've seen before. Um, But in the middle of all of that, and we do expect to see, you know, the standard practices in the dairy industry are are pretty violent um, and pretty difficult visually to watch because um, they're just – it's just so like, uh, it's just so violent. And, um, and then of course we, we see all this, what some people would say is egregious cruelty, right? This sort of sadistic, um, you know, hitting, poking. And in this case we had scolding water being sprayed in their faces and, you know, um, all sorts of things like that. So, so in the middle of that, it's sort of this barrage of, of violence It's this weird, like, like contrast and to look at something like the last moment a calf is is able to touch its mother and the other way around. The last time the mother will see her calf and and this sort of like, just why do we do this to them? Why do why does dairy industry like it just so I mean, something as sort of simple and mundane, really, at the end of the day, because this happens in every dairy um you know why do we we put this through them as part of the system you know every day and there's other things that are part of the system that are just horrifying and i would say slaughtering baby animals is pretty horrifying by itself but just that moment of separation really affected me because i was like wow like you know this this animal has to go through this five or six times yeah. before you know, she's put on a truck and sent to a slaughterhouse
0: yeah what goes through my mind and it's you know it it just piggybacks on what you said in terms of the grim nature of it, is I always think about how scared the babies are, um, how confused they are, um, you know, and, and that a male, very young, you know, just days old, um, calf being put into a veal crate, and all the photos you see are, you know, it's always raining out, it's always cold, it's always a, a situation that's that's already um, just a horrible um, way to, to exist, and knowing that that's, you know, their last their last days you know, or weeks. Um, you know, it's just, it's so, I just, I get heartbroken thinking about how scared they must be. Um, Emily, and these are
1: babies, right? They're full-grown yeah. babies. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, one thing that sticks with me about this, and I've heard this in other investigations too, is, so in this case, um, as is the case in the vast majority of dairy farms, the calves have their horns burned off by a, by a hot iron. So they're, it's extremely, I mean, you can just watch them kicking and writhing and trying to get out of the way because they have to tie their heads to the side and it's just extremely painful and violent. But as they're getting them ready in this case, um to do that, like the tying their, you know, their head to the side of these this this um, slats on this crate, the calf is trying to suckle on the workers' fingers. Yeah. Oh God. You know, that's the yeah. kind of thing to me that's like why do we do this? Like, as a species, why do we put these animals through this? And that sort of raised my thoughts about kind of, you know, motherhood and yeah. families and what kind of values and sort of the sensitization process that children kind of naturally have that we just, you know, we kind of run roughshod over that. So, yeah, that, that, you know, the mothering sort of themes on, on the dairy industry is just so, so
0: profound. So, Emily, how many, um, Remind our listeners how many locations there are for farm sanctuary and then, you know, locations where they where they are, but also where, um, you know, visitors can meet some of these mothers.
2: Yeah. Thanks. So we have um, we have two sanctuary locations. One uh, near, as you noted, near you um, in Watkins Glen, New York, um, and that is approximately three hundred acre sanctuary location. We've got about eight hundred um, animal residents there right now, um, and then we also have a location on the West Coast um, that is in Acton, California. Much much smaller sanctuary. Um, about forty-five minutes outside of LA, um, depending on time of day and mm-hmm. traffic. Um, Cheryl, I'm sure can relate. Um, yes. And uh, we both locations offer um, offer tours, and uh, we do school school trips there as well. Um, and we also do do events. Um, our Watkins Glen location has a um, a big summer hoedown. Um, that's a pretty f- uh, family friendly event that um, you know a lot of families will go to year after year. Um, and also, you know, I was just in, in Watkins Glen. It's a, a pretty fun place to go, I think, with a, a family in general. There's a lot of um, hiking in oh, the yeah, area definitely. and yeah. wineries and walk in the village of Watkins Glen um, is, is pretty vegan friendly. They're actually... At least three um, different locations that serve vegan ice cream, um, which is big. You know, when you t- some people say, you know, the the hard part about going vegan for them, like I could never go- give up cheese. Yeah. And I always thought, like, oh my gosh, like ice cream. <laughs> and now there's, you know, there's there's such a, an abundance oh of vegan gosh, ice cream. So incredible. even in even in Watkins Glen.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, when I was doing research for my second book, which is the Smart Parents Guide to Raising Vegan Kids, which is part of the reason why. This podcast made so much sense for me. I have two vegan kids myself. Um, I wanted to do a section on farm sanctuaries. And so I, of course, had Gene Bauer as a contributor um, to my book. And one of the questions I had to him, which I still to this day am fascinated by this answer, I asked him, what is uh, the first farm sanctuary in the U.S.? And it's farm Sanctuary. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe this whole idea of actually protecting animals and letting them live out their lives, uh, you know, to their natural lifespan is only some 30 years old, mm-hmm. 35 years old. It blows my mind that the first, you know, the first shot at this was was uh, the farm sanctuary.
1: Well, and the feeling that, you know, you kind of get at a sanctuary and the way that I think especially kids connect to the animals there is so different than going to something like a zoo. So Emily, what, what do you see in terms of, you know, the way maybe kids kind of um, enter into this world, what they get out of it, how they process, you know, this information and how they kind of connect to the animals.
2: Yeah. So I, so I, I'm a mom too, and I have um, a daughter. She's going to be two uh, somewhat soon and she has been to the sanctuary and I mean, it's just you know, it's like kids just have a, a connection. I think typically, you know, they just they get it. Um, they understand that these are you know these animals are are individuals, and you know to be gentle with them. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I guess, I guess, um, you know, uh, people as they grow up, learn, you know, learn different things and maybe become desensitized to it or don't think about it. Um, but, you know, kids, I feel like just, they just kind of get it um, early on, have that sense of, of compassion, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, and there's, it's funny, because my kids, when we did the first time we went to a sanctuary, um, they were pretty young, uh, not I think my older one was three. So he wasn't as young as your daughter is now, but my younger one at the time was one. And um, it was like, you know, they were normally kind of little kids, like little wrecking balls kind of. And when they went into the sanctuary, it was like, they were really ultra like calm and polite and asked a lot of questions. Like, what's this one's sad story? Can I give this one a cookie? Like it was a lot of that. It was like the whole environment changed the way that they, that they, Kind of behaved entirely yeah. is so interesting
0: yeah
2: yeah and, and we do you know at farm sanctuary at our sanctuaries and also through our um, humane education program we really you know focus on on teaching those you know teaching the stories uh, about the animals teaching um how you know how animals are treated what happens to them in you know when they're raised um for food And, you know, I think that's important to, to teach young people. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have that opportunity, you know, as a a vegan parent and having a vegan child, um, you know, to be able to, to teach her those things from a, from a young
0: age. For our listeners, and because we have two legal experts on, on the podcast today, what, um, legal protections exist for, uh, farm animals, factory farm animals?
1: Well, it's, so, it's very little. I'll say that, and Emily, I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> I mean, that's that's exactly what you know
2: what I was going to say. I mean, you know, there are um, state cruelty laws that that sometimes, in rare, very egregious cases, um, you know, come into play. Um, but things that are you know standard industry practice um, are just you know they're just allowed. They're just allowed to do them,
1: and yep. there's there's really no no legal protection. And yeah, there's nothing on the federal level um, for on-farm treatment. So the time that farm animals in general, so the time they're born or hatched until the time that they're shipped to be slaughtered. So with respect to cows, specifically this on-farm treatment um, like what we saw in, in this investigation yeah. um, is, is really up to, you know, the state, but then the state isn't going to do anything unless groups like ours, do the investigation, bring them a complaint, and then they still can say, in most states, they can just say, no, thank you. And it doesn't matter, you know, how bad something is, that's, that's really kind of like, it's up to them, uh, whether they want to to do anything.
0: So again, for the listener who maybe didn't hear it in the intro, um, if they visit cok.net forward slash ditch dairy, there's a lot of information about this uh, recent investigation that just broke in April, uh, early April, 2019. And, um, some of the footage again, or most of the footage is very disturbing. And these are practices that are taking place, um, at this farm, which is not, I don't think considered a large scale dairy farm. Um, you talked about the dairy farm, Emily, where Liz came from was uh, an attempt at even smaller. (laughs) I don't know if they call them boutique. What do you call the small dairy farms that are trying to, you know, just, uh, say, Hey, I'm, I treat my animals very, uh, you know, I treat them fairly and and they're well-loved and, um, you know, no matter what the dairy industry itself, um, as we know, requires impregnation of a cow in order to have her lactate. And in order to get the milk, um, that, you know, people still seem to think they need from a dietary and nutritional perspective, um, they, their offspring needs to be, taken away, weaned or removed otherwise. And so no matter how you look at it, um, the dairy industry itself um, is just, it's not, you know, um, something that can continue or should continue.
2: Yeah. And I I think that, you know, I've I've been vegan for quite a while now. And when I first went vegan, uh, a lot of it was, I mean, it largely was learning, you know, some of the things that we talked about, about the dairy industry, about, you know, the constant impregnation and the, um, you know, exploitation and the, the sale of the males into, you know, the veal industry. Um, that was, you know, quite a few years ago, but since I've had my own daughter, um, I feel like I have just more of a, a, I guess, an emotional reaction Mm -hmm. to this concept of, you know, taking babies away from their moms, you know, hours after they're born. And it really has a, you know, even for those animals that are fortunate enough to get out of the dairy industry and and come live in sanctuary, it really has a lifelong impact on them. Um, I mean, for, you know, for the adults, for example, like, I mean, they're bred, to produce uh, massive quantities of of milk, I mean they in the in the dairy uh, industry in 2018, I think it was you know 23,000 pounds per cow of milk over the course of the year, yeah. um, and so this you know this breeding for that massive production gives them um, you know they they have often health problems like mastitis, um, and then the babies like talking about the the separation from mom, I mean it's it's. Traumatizing, obviously. I mean, we as parents, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know yeah. we can imagine it's traumatizing for both. Um, but you know, for the the babies, like it's often they'll be more you know they'll be more fearful even when they they get to the sanctuary, um, or they'll have you know they'll have health problems because yeah. they didn't get you know they didn't get the immunity from from their mom. Um, you know, so for another another animal that I got to meet when I was at Farm Sanctuary recently was was Pippi. Um, who's a calf who came from another, uh, you know, somewhat small dairy. Um, but you know, like other, other dairy cows was taken away from her mom hours after birth and, uh, she has a a heart defect. So they, you know, there was no value in her to them. And so we were able to get her to, to sanctuary. Um, but she came, you know, with, with pneumonia. She hadn't, um, you know, she hadn't gotten the immunity from mom's milk. And so she came with pneumonia and um, she couldn't play with the other animals because it was too much of a, a risk to her health because she couldn't breathe well and she had the heart mm-hmm. defect. Um, and so she had to be put into to isolation. And uh, ultimately, we were able to put another uh, dairy rescue in, another calf in with her. And it was, you know, it was like so impactful for her to, to have a friend and to have somebody to connect with because she, you know, she just had been taken away from her mom, you know, at birth. Mm -hmm. Um, and then unfortunately the calf that she was able to connect with had health problems as well and had to go to the vet and she just, Pippi just mooed the whole time, you know, the other, the other calf was away, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously in distress at the, the loss of her, of her companion. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, that's just what happens in dairies every day when they're, you know, they're, they're taken away from, from their mom and, and are alone and, you know, fearful and sick. and
1: Yeah. We did an investigation in Colorado of a calf ranch, um, which is still up on our website. And um, that I, that is another one where, you know, I expected to some degree, the level of violence, although it's a particularly unique thing to watch people throw babies around, I think, and be really aggressive toward them. But um, the, the, just visual of seeing all these cow, these babies in this long row, you know, in these individual pens um, and tons of them were sick. You know, I mean, you can imagine like, it's just so unnatural and kind of bizarre that we do this. It's like there's all these babies who were born a day or two ago, you know, and it's like the, the moms are just absent um and they're just kinda dropped off. These babies are just dropped off at what's they called it a calf ranch. So, you know, that was their specialty was to kinda take these babies who often came in with um some pretty serious, you know, health issues, um and you know, were cruelly treated, but also just, you know, isolated from obviously the 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 strong need they would have had to Be with their moms, and um, you know, for their own physical health. In addition to everything else, so I didn't know that until we had done that investigation. That there was so so much sickness, and that's sort of part of it too.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, and I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you think about um, you know, as as parents. I mean, they they say you know it's it's really good for babies to be with their moms, and you know, get immunity from mom's milk and. Um, you know, there's, it's like that with, with cows too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so can you imagine, you know, a a room full of just two day old human babies like that would, in no world would that look normal. Um, You know, if the moms are sort of nowhere to be found. Um, So, you know, it's just sort of part of the dairy industry. The dairy industry exists because of destroying that bond.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, and, and... On every level. Yeah. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. So...
1: Yeah. I was
2: just going to say I I'm, I'm and I'm really shocked that um you know when I hear people don't don't realize that necessarily like or you know maybe they just hadn't thought about the fact that like in order for these cows to produce milk, I mean they they have to have babies yeah. and you know in order for us to have their milk, they they have to take the babies away from the cows, you know, so That's the milk simple, can go yeah. to humans. Yeah. And it you know it just seems so kind of straightforward to me and and so yeah, just Really sad. That's what it comes down um, but, to. But yeah. you know, pe- yeah, people just don't don't necessarily realize it or think about it.
1: Well, I don't know if this has been your experience, but um, I think that's exacerbated by the culture of new parents, especially new moms with infants, being told by pediatricians and sort of general, you know, community wisdom, I guess, <laughs> that, you know, babies need to have cow's milk, which is just so again, bizarre, the whole thing. It's just so kind of surreal that we even do this. But, um, you know, I remember going into the pediatrician and them saying, just without kind of looking up from the clipboard, being like, okay, how many ounces of milk are you still giving them whole milk? And i mean, like, oh, we're vegan. And then I remember the pediatrician going, okay, well, what about like almond milk or soy milk? And I'm like, you realize like those are all like very different things. Like, why are we (laughs) even in this place where we're having this conversation? They don't need the milk in the first place. You know, like, it's like they, there's a, a basic biological setup already for human babies and human milk. And that's like, that's good. That's fine. We don't need to involve cows, you know? So, but I do think there, there is an additional barrier put up. And I don't know if that was your experience too, that suddenly everybody's sort of, you know, frantically trying to make sure that enough cow's milk is getting into babies. And that, that's sort of this, you know, additional irritation for, Vegans, Yeah,
2: yeah I, I feel like, I mean, I feel like I was actually pretty fortunate in that, that way. I don't know if, you know, my pediatrician was just more educated or what, but they actually said something like, oh, well, that's good that you're vegan because sometimes they're, I think she said like iron, you can get an iron deficiency um, if you have too much too much cow's milk. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's, that's great. We don't have to worry about that.
1: That's um, interesting. I yeah, just I mean, heard that recently from a doctor. Like sometimes kids who just drink too much milk, like they get anemia so interesting yeah it's,
0: it's such an interesting point um, you know again pediatricians are trained to um most of them you know that are have been traditionally trained or t- are trained to tell parents okay so uh, breastfeeding is over which are you going to start them on which milk are you going to start them on and as you were saying cheryl that's something that that alone is um is not the truth. You know, you don't need it. You don't need to find even a milk replacement. You, know, you don't need that nutrition. Right. Of course, these non-dairy milks are just as enriched and as good for you, actually better for you, of course, than, than dairy milk. But um, it's not necessarily a need to replace what wasn't required in the first place.
1: Yeah, I think of a more like fun foods, you know, like we talked in like our junk food episode about like, why would you want to have, you know, so I think about like the some of these, some of these vegan milks and vegan ice creams and cheeses are just like so delicious that it's like, okay, well, this is dessert. This is like, you know, what we're gonna have for a treat, but I definitely don't think of it as a staple in the diet, you know, it does not need to be.
0: Yeah, I'm actually addicted right now to Elmhurst. Um, I don't know if you know the story. But oh uh, yeah. yeah, Elmhurst 1925 is actually an, an upstate New York dairy farm. They they did uh, dairy milk for 90 years and then switched over to plant based milks. And they have their, their packaging says milked cashews, milked almonds, milked peanuts, and the the containers a little bit different. And so it caught my eye, and I've just fallen in love with. Their oat milk and their cashew milks, and um, yeah, as you say, they're so incredibly tasty on their own that there's people who still will say, Well, I still prefer you know the taste of cow's milk, which I don't think they actually do. I think they've just somehow mentally trained themselves. They're used to, think to that, it, that's what it's supposed to taste like because these taste like uh shakes, they taste like milkshakes, they're yeah. sweet, they're vanilla, they're delicious, yeah.
1: Yeah, and the Elmer's ones are ultra healthy, too. Like, you can go in the, yeah. you know, sugary side of things and the doctored up, you know, ice creams and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is this feeling that people have that, like, cow's milk is somehow, like, the standard. I think there you have to almost get a distance from... You have to get into that zone where you're like, wow, why do we do this to these yeah, animals? Exactly. The fact that this industry exists is just so, you know, sort of wrong and bizarre. Before you even start to to break that assumption I mean I grew up in the Midwest and I still see you know people in their 30s and 40s drinking glasses of milk (laughs) during the day which I think is so weird like now as like you know this sort of veteran vegan sort of in my middle age almost um you know it's like why are people doing that it's so strange yeah. Um. Yeah. But so so, what has your experience been, Emily? Do you feel like the as a, as a parent now, do you feel like this? You know, the vegan issue generally has been hard to navigate. Or you know, I know your daughter is young. I don't know if she she kind of has started to understand any of this yet. Or what is kind of your plan or your concerns?
2: Yeah. I think. I mean. I guess the hardest part for me is knowing maybe like how strict to be. With other people, <laughs> you know, like I mean, she she goes to daycare and they they provide um, food at daycare, and so every week they give me a menu, and I cross things out, like don't you know, don't give her the ground beef, don't give her the, yeah. the milk the cheese, you know. <laughs> and I bring, uh, you know, I bring other things for her, you know, I'll make homemade stuffed shells with with tofu or uh, you know vegan meatballs or something like that, and, and takes and take stuff to school for her. Um, but you know, if if they if someone brings in cupcakes for a kid's birthday or something like that, you know, I, I, I have a sweet tooth and I, you know, I feel Mm -hmm. bad. I feel bad saying, uh, you know, don't ever let my, my child participate. Um, you know, and it's so, I mean, it's so much easier, you know, if I were throwing a birthday party, I would make a bunch of vegan cupcakes and they would be delicious and everybody would love them. And, you know, they'd be like, Oh, vegan is great. Um, but it's a little challenging when, you know, it's, it's, uh, somebody else, you know, somebody else providing it and it's like a celebration of some sort. Um, you know, it's hard. It's
1: hard. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's,
0: yeah. We've got every sort of stage here or somewhat. Um, you know, again, with my book, I interviewed a lot of parents with varying different levels of uh, ages of children, but also situations, uh, blended families and things like that. So you have a two-year-old. I have a four and a six-year-old. Uh, Cheryl, your two are around? three,
1: and, Three and five.
0: Three and five. Yeah. So we all have... Uh, young vegan kids and we're all committed to doing the best we can for our kids um, giving them that head start on excellent health of course uh, giving them a much more compassionate um, outlook on life uh, raising them to love all animals truly love all animals Uh, and then really you know being sort of a generation of people who are um, committed to helping the planet too so you know on this call alone we've got a real great start at you know a youngest generation of vegans up and coming vegans um and dairy is a big part of it um you know a lot of the, yeah. the things that we were raised on um were dairy focused or dairy based and because we are smart enough and uh are looking out for our own kids and now our own health as well um we've cut that out we found replacements that are that are just as tasty, if not tastier, and so much better for everyone.
1: And, you know, I I think the saying dairy is a big part of that is really interesting because I think what happens, you know, the the difficulty kind of, like you say, Emily, that with the, you know, if somebody else is sort of running the show, what do you do? And the concern that she'll feel kind of left out. I think that part is heavily related to dairy because really nobody's like, or rarely is somebody going to be like, have this steak to like a (laughs) two-year-old, right? but they are going to be like have this cupcake or yeah. whatever yeah. and um oh, pizza. pizza pizza yeah pizza. and like yeah. the the sort of yeah the language of birthday party seems to be pizza and you know cake so um i had those same kinds of concerns uh but then as soon as each kid in their own way really sort of started to just love their veganism like feel really kind of empowered by it um i I was not worried. Like, as long as I still kind of run around and get them the vegan versions. Like, we stop at Whole Foods and get, like, a vegan donut. And then Whole Foods gives, like, a pizza. Like, they sell, they always have a vegan pizza made, like, two different flavors. Like, oh, a I plain vegan cheese one and, like, one with toppings. But, like, the pizza slice is, like, the size of your head. Like, it's <laughs> yes, ridiculous. <I> <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I always kind of do that and give them the, you know, the options. And that school sometimes... You know, I don't know ahead of time, so I might have to do it like afterwards, but I've got two little police, you know, vegan police kids now, like for themselves, <laughs> right? They, they know now at school, like if somebody brings in a treat, like Lo- Logan's teacher, my older one's teacher was like, uh, it's so you know, cute. Logan was like, oh, let me see the ingredients on that and see if it's vegan. And she just thought that <laughs> wow. was like so funny. And I'm like, yeah, oh, that's wow. like what he does. So, so I think it's, you know, there's, there's this sort of, um, empowering element totally. once they kind of yeah. get it. Um, at, at what age does that start?
0: Well, Paisley's I think, four.
1: Yeah, She's I think two it. and a half, three is when yeah. they yeah. started to, to really engage on that level with it.
0: Pais- Paisley mm-hmm. calls herself gluten-free vegan. She's, oh, that's it, so cute. It, yeah. like a, a, her badge of honor. I'm gluten-free vegan. And so if there's a snack or something, she'll she'll not say she can't have it. She'll just tell people, I'm gluten-free vegan. And so that either fits the category of what she can eat or it doesn't. So yeah, you're going to see a lot of this. It's, to me, that's a lot of the fun of um, raising vegan kids is seeing them figure their, their themselves out, figure out their environments, figure out their own comfort level, um, their own challenges. Um, you know, With Cooper, our six-year-old, he just started kindergarten, so it opened up a whole new Pandora's box for things that we can't control because we're not there. Um, but again, it's so worth it. It's so worth it for everybody involved.
2: Yeah. And it's also a chance a chance for activism, I think, oh, you yeah, know, when definitely. you're, you know, you're bringing the the vegan options, the vegan alternatives and, you know, your your child is saying, "I'm I'm vegan," you know, proudly. Yeah. Um there, you know, the other kids and the other moms and dads and families and um, you know, people are, are learning what that, you know, what that means and all the great options that I are totally, out there yeah, um, totally for agree. vegan food. Yep.
0: I think that the vegan kids are the cool kids now. Um, you know, that the kids yeah. that are eating bacon aren't. Um, and so I'm very proud to be raising two vegan kids. So yeah, we've had four, other,
1: other ahead. vegan kids, other kids. Well, we have met other vegan kids, which is great, but we've had other kids say they want to go vegan after. I mean, cause I think also even adults, like, you know, it's, you can't be like, upset at a three-year-old like saying you know they want to help the animals like it's yeah. too cute like who right. who could be right. upset by that it's different than like a 35 year old saying <laughs> exactly <it. laughs>
0: that's a really good point so emily what's as we sort of close this episode um what's next for farm sanctuary what's happening in the in the coming uh months or year
2: uh well we just opened up uh, tour season in Watkins Glen mm-hmm. so that's you know it's an exciting time of year that that people can come come visit and you know meet the animals for themselves and learn learn about the animals and about veganism um so that's you know that's the uh, spring brings what's the yeah, spring
0: brings the opening to yeah. Watkins Glen yeah
2: yeah uh we also another another big thing that we've just uh, around around earth day released is um we've got a, a humane education um, curriculum that, that teaches about the environment and nice. um, you know environmental impacts of, of animal agriculture. Um, so that's uh, you know that's recently recent release, recently released and um, doing really well nice. what, in schools.
1: What's the uh, age range for that and how can parents or kids um, get that to be taught in their schools?
2: Um, so you can go to our website, farmsanctuary.org, um, and there's a way uh, to reach out to contact us. Um, there's, there's the option for teachers to contact us, either to have our humane educators come into their schools. Um, we currently have humane educators in New York City, uh, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, um, and there's also an option for teachers to reach out to us and get the curriculum from us so that they can do it wow. uh, they can teach it them- themselves, yeah.
0: That's very cool. Well, thank you Emily. Um happy Mother's Day to you. Um
2: Thank you. Yeah, Remember happy Mother's little Day. One.
0: Um yeah, so it's uh it's been great talking to you. Um I'm going to head out to Watkins Glen very soon actually. Um as you said, it's still sort of mud season here in upstate New York, but Definitely want to get over there and say hello to all the animals. Um, Cheryl, you get out to the one in, in Acton soon. and Yeah,
1: we got to make our sanctuary planning because we, yes. we haven't been. And This is making me really want to go.
0: That's awesome. Well, yeah. uh, thank you so much, Emily, for taking the time out again. Thank you for all you do for the animals. Um, and Cheryl, happy Mother's Day to you.
1: Thank you. And thank you, Emily, and happy Mother's Day.
2: Thank you. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. And and thanks again for having me. I I really, um, really appreciate it.
0: Not at all. And if you have ideas for episodes, you can email us at veganfamily at triveg.com. You can check out a bunch of recipes for your family at triveg.com. And again, if you want to know more about the the recent investigation, go to cok.net forward slash Ditch Dairy. And thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to Compassion Over Killing's Vegan Family Podcast. Have episode ideas or questions about going vegan? Email us at goveganattrivege.com.